Hey, hello, friends, and welcome to this message, which is specially handpicked to minister to you and to bless you. I am Pastor Lincoln Seranga, senior pastor here at Liberty Christian Fellowship in London. My passion is the pursuit of 100% answered prayer. If that sounds like a good subject to you, why don't you follow me at lincolnseranga.com and also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other social media where you will be able to find other messages as well as find access to short courses, coaching opportunities, and more. God bless you as you listen to this message. Well, friends, I hope you had a great time there just uh, worshiping God and, and receiving from Pastor Grace. It's Pentecost Sunday, and uh, it's good to remember these calendar times and to, uh, to align ourselves with them and see what, what um, God is doing in these seasons. So on the day of Pentecost, on this very day, uh, 2,000 plus years ago, the Spirit of God came upon the, the waiting company of, of believers. It was the beginning of a new church era. And uh, as I was sharing with Pastor Andrew, we recognized that somehow in these times of pestilence, there's been a, almost a, a forced realignment with the uh, Jewish calendar. For us, uh, we, we, the Passover season marked the peak of the epidemic here in the United Kingdom. And uh, prophetically, that had been signaled that there will be a, uh, an end, literally a breaking of the power of this epidemic on, uh, on a Passover, uh, during the Passover season. And, uh, you know, on, on, we thank God that, that there's been a turnaround and uh, things are thawing out. But um, uh, from Passover, we come straight into Pentecost. And the reality is that we've been uh, all feeling that it is time for us to stand before God and receive a new special touch of his presence and power for the mission that he has given us as the church, as his people, to step into our world and make a difference. Now, I just want to share from, from the grain of the things that we've been sharing. Uh, now, we, we have had a bit of audio challenge. I need to ensure that you can hear me loud and clear. Um, unfortunately, with the way we are connecting now, it's not uh, possible to see everyone's remarks and comment, comments. Actually, um, if uh, you can help me with my phone over there so that I can have a look here at comments while I speak. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think I need the connection as well. Beautiful. Well, um, Holy Spirit, we need him. We need his glory. We need his power now like never before and we just believe that the church is being commissioned in a fresh new way into our world to take uh, the gospel message uh, and so it is no coincidence that we are uh, uh, looking at pentecost coming in now somehow as we, as i said as we were sharing with pastor andrew we said we should believe god for a fresh outpouring of god's glory on us as his church Certainly, as a family here at LCF, we want uh, to see a fresh new outpouring of God's grace and glory. Now, I began a journey with yourselves, friends, uh, some time ago, uh, uh, speaking on the sovereignty of God on uh, Friday nights. And um, 
we had quite quite a party this Friday. We we had a great time of exchange, just learning together on the principles of um, um, the sovereignty of God, but with particular reference to the judgments of God, the five types of judgments. So we, I'm trying to redeem. I was trying to redeem the word judgments uh, from a negative connotation to something more positive. When you go to see a king. You're going for a judgment. When you go to court, you are looking for a king, a judge, to make a ruling on your behalf. And I was saying uh, to uh, the pastors that uh, when God blesses you, it's a judgment. When God vindicates you, it's a judgment. When God defends you, it's a judgment. Uh, but also when God disciplines you, it's a judgment. And so uh, on the judgment uh, day, when we come and stand before the king, we shall be rewarded. Bible says God will, will bless and reward those that have uh, been fruitful before him. And so judgment is not always a negative word. And I wanted to redeem that and be a, sometimes I'm deliberately provocative in my <laughs> use of words because I'm, I'm trying to stir something. Sometimes it's just because I want to categorize things and group them. And so uh, I, I hope you understand uh, what what goes on there? Let me just make sure I'm not creating an echo here. Fantastic. Okay, so today I want to uh, pick up on the subject of the sovereignty of God. Uh, I'm characteristic of Sunday, but I'm, I'm coming at it in a Pentecost kind of way, and I just wanted to to celebrate, like Pastor Grace was was um, uh, celebrating. Holy Spirit came into my life 1981. 1981, as a 19-year-old boy, I first experienced the presence of God. And I had not said the sinner's prayer. I didn't even know fully what Christianity is about. All I know is I had begun to go to church, and my heart was strangely warmed by the words I was hearing. And my spirit was converted beyond saying the sinner's prayer. And so on this one night, <clears throat> as we prayed as a family, the Spirit of God fell on me. And I could feel the glory of God upon me. I didn't know what it fully was. Now I know. Uh, but um, I want today to make a very distinctive um, um, definition on um, things that we've been touching. Uh, we've been touching the difference between the sovereignty of God and the kingdom of God. I've made references to it today. I want to settle down on it. And I hope my scholars are all logged on. Because next Sunday, I want us to have more of a forum. Uh, probably uh, three people or so to just come on and let's go over everything that I will share today because I feel it is quite pivotal in in my own journey. I hope it will be in yours and uh, particularly as we are transitioning into uh, a new era of church life. So Father, I ask that you give me eloquence. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are my teacher and the teacher of the house. I pray that I may disappear, that you may appear, that my lips of clay will be transformed into the very vehicles of God to utter, to frame, and to speak forth the word of God in a way that brings light and transformation. I pray that your grace and glory will pour out and be seen in our midst. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay. Um, let me just ensure that our volume is good. I am I'm, I'm hearing that uh, you guys are struggling to hear. 
Yeah, there was an, a Zoom update, and the Zoom update is causing us a few challenges. So Zoom updated their software, and the update created audio problems. Uh, let me see, I'm using headphones or an aux cable to hear better. Somebody is suggesting that perhaps you may need to use headphones because here I have maxed out volume on everything that I have to ensure that you can hear me, but some of you are still struggling to hear. Please do try and do your best there. Uh, let me check one more time here. How is that? Maybe I'm coming closer and closer here like that so that you guys can hear me better. Um, um, how is that? Good. I see thumbs up from Rosemary. Um, I am so sorry, but it's a Zoom problem. Uh, we had a Zoom update. They have forced everybody to upgrade to Zoom 5. And for us here, for our streaming, it caused a new batch of problems. But we're going to do our best to ensure that you can still follow. Thank you, Jesus. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I, I think this is an important message. I really, oh yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm seeing uh, remarks that are saying it's good. Okay, fantastic. Oh, friends, my subject today is the sovereignty of God versus the kingdom of God. This has been my study, and I want you to, to judge me and discern what I'm saying and put uh, what I say to the test. Be like the Bereans, go back to the scriptures and examine it. Um, what is the difference between the sovereignty of God and the kingdom of God? Why I was uh, tackling this very difficult subject and some people's minds were really roasted uh, <laughs> during the, the deliveries on Friday, but I urge some of you to go back and check out uh, some of those um, broadcasts on Friday, uh, the last two. Uh, but today I want to, to really move it towards a crowning point, and hopefully we can discuss it next Sunday. But uh, it's very much in line with Pentecost, and understanding this, the new covenant. How does the old covenant differ from the new covenant? I'm going to probably do a lot of reading, so I make sure I cover everything that I wrote down. So... Let me start by saying this. One of the biggest changes in Christian thinking, one of the biggest changes in Christian thinking over the last uh, 100 years plus uh, was the emergence, or should I say the re-emergence of kingdom theology. Kingdom theology or kingdom of God theology. So now you need to understand that after the early church, we went through uh, the dark uh, a dark time there where the church just lost its witness and everything went into uh, organized, hyper-organized uh, uh, religion uh, where uh, we went into Catholic practice and then the Reformation came back and, and the gospel began to be preached again, uh, justification by grace through faith. And then slowly, tenets of biblical doctrine uh, uh, Christian doctrine have been restored to the church progressively. So the Holy Spirit had been lost completely from the worship of the church. And so when, <clears throat> even when uh, justification by grace began to be preached again uh, through the, that initial reformation, 
there was not an understanding of the Holy Spirit. And so it is through, mainly through the Pentecostal awakening, through the Azusa Street Revival, that the place of the baptism with the Holy Spirit was restored to the church with the speaking in tongues. And those kind, and the, then the, the working of miracles and, and healings and deliverance. And now understanding uh, the ministries like the prophetic ministry and apostolic ministry and, and all these things. It's been a progressive journey of the church rediscovering lost treasures from the word of God. And I hope that in your own journey you are not uh, leaving uh, beyond or behind these revolutions that God has faithfully sent into the earth to awaken his church but one of the greatest changes happened um, around 1930s in the 30s and into the 50s uh, thoughts began to reimagine the church concerning the kingdom of God and defining and seeing the difference between the sovereignty of God and the kingdom of God it is possible to get confused with the language and so uh, History shows us in the 30s, some Christian philosophers, and then in the 50s, uh, began to dig up again the concept of the kingdom of God and, and grappling with what it actually means. Men like George Eldon Ladd, uh, some of you can, can just go and search these things out. But particularly here in the United Kingdom, I know that the first time that we came here uh, to the UK, uh, whoo, I don't even remember the year that was, but we came when there was a, a lot of stirring, a lot of Holy Spirit stirring beyond the Pentecostal uh, move of God, which restored uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and changed the landscape of Christian witness around the world. And I think, uh, I forget the figure, but there's um, almost half a million uh, tongue-speaking people in the earth now. Um, there was another wave beyond, beyond Pentecostal revolution it was the charismatic movement and the charismatic movement was different from the pentecostal movement but the ingredients were fairly similar in that there was a focus on the person on the person and the power of the holy spirit uh, a focus on signs and wonders healing deliverance and that kind of ministry now the the pentecostal revival uh was very much um uh it, it created pentecostal denominations we have people like the Assemblies of God, we have the Elim Church, we have, they, they actually became movements and they became traditional. And a lot of what they taught was rejected by mainstream churches like uh, of those days, like the Anglicans, the Catholics, the Baptists, the Pentecostals were like there. And then uh, we had the Pentecostals. But when the, the charismatic move of God hit the earth, it was God's spirit being poured out upon the existing denomination. So the Anglicans, the Catholics, uh, Presbyterians even, uh, and that was quite awesome, uh, Presbyterians, Baptists, these people began to actually realize that what the Pentecostals were saying was very legitimate. The Holy Spirit can be experienced. Now, there were different applications and, and uh, emphasis, but when we came to the UK, as I said, uh, we came and uh, were involved in uh, moves of God that involved uh, this man of God in America called John Wimber. John Wimber passed away in 1979, but he created a whole movement of teaching. He did not call himself a Pentecostal. Uh, he was known as, uh, they, they are called empowered evangelicals. 
I think this is the, the title they chose to call themselves empowered evangelicals. They recognize on one side where the, um, the evangelicals, evangelicals are just churches that believe people must be saved, but they don't necessarily believe uh, that uh, there has to be a Holy Spirit experience. And then on the extreme were the Pentecostals, who had actually triggered this whole re revolution. And then in the middle forms the Charismatics, who are a little between the Evangelicals and the Pentecostals. Uh, their tradition, a little more um, bar, a little more laid back, a little more structured, a little more, um, you know, uh, they tried to, 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 to make sure uh, the, the Holy Spirit experience can be enjoyed uh, within the context of some of the traditions that were happening. I'm sorry, I've gone a little deeper than I wanted there. But I just wanted to make the point that there is such a thing as Pentecostalism and then there's the charismatic movement. Now, in general, the church of Jesus across the world has moved. It's impossible now to fully categorize and say these are evangelicals, these are Baptists, these are... It's a mishmash. So in our typical meetings, we have Anglicans, we have Catholics, when I go to sit in the Sadak for Jesus, when we sit to have our meetings, we have Catholic Anglicans in callers, we have Baptists, we have um, <laughs> a whole mix of Pentecostals and, and then Charismatics, and, and we are all there, hands lifted, speaking in tongues. And so it's no longer as, as, um, as, as um, uh, define, definable as it was before. But it's important, I'm going somewhere with this. I just show you a bit of history there. Yeah, but there is a difference there. Now, uh, going on, moving on to understanding this thing called uh, the, um, the kingdom of God. So in the 30s and 80s, there was a restoration of kingdom thinking. Now, when I, we came to the UK, there was much talk of kingdom, the kingdom of God. And I was a bit perplexed because coming from the awakening, we call it the Pentecostal awakening of Uganda, but it wasn't really Pentecostal. It was charismatic because Pentecostals created denomination. And they were called classic Pentecostals. They had a code of conduct and a code of belief. Uh, the, the, these indigenous moves of God, though they were called Pentecostals, that's a very bad language. They're more like charismatics, but uh, they model very much on, on the Pentecostal experience. The, uh, not the Pentecostal experience, but the, the pouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which is where the word comes from. But when we came here, people were talking kingdom of God, kingdom of God. John Wimber was big. On promoting the kingdom of God and it really created a huge movement across the world thousands of churches were planted under the vineyard movement mm -hmm. and that man of God performed many many signs and wonders and trained a lot of people to step out into the signs and wonders ministry and that talk was the kingdom of God now this was fresh theology and I don't know whether everybody on this forum has digested and understood the difference between the sovereignty of God and the kingdom of God and the declaration, the message of the kingdom of God. I think in more recent times, uh, the, the phrase has become popularized more by Bethel Church in California because uh, a lot of songs uh, that, that are, talk about the kingdom. I mean, Jerome wrote a beautiful song, Your kingdom come, come have your way. We, we sang that. Kingdom theology has become quite distinctive and important to understand. I wanted to make my own submission to you that there is a difference between the rule of God as sovereign God and there's a difference between that and the concept of the kingdom of God as is preached and heralded by John the Baptist. 
the kingdom of God and the sovereignty of God are similar but completely different in function and in expression. As I've been showing you and as I will show you, sovereignty of God is God ruling over the earth in all its entirety. With, through good and bad, in good times, bad times, through bad events and, and good events, whether the devil is working or, or whether it's man going crazy, God continues and rules sovereign, sovereignly across and in history, through our events, up and down, good and evil, his finger continues to work his purposes through the earth, and his purposes shall be established as he has decreed them. They cannot be altered God's purposes in the earth shall come to pass. And that's what we call the sovereignty of God. Uh, but it is completely different from the kingdom of God. Now, let me tell you, I want to give you, I think, five points to show you the distinction between the sovereignty of God and the kingdom of God. And I hope you can follow this. Number one, the sovereignty of God does not come. It does not come. Remember that the preaching of John the Baptist, and we read um, in those days, uh, let me get the verses, it's chapter 3 of Matthew and verse 1. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven has come. Some translations will say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you remember as well, and we will read, uh, that it says from the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, yeah, and forceful people lay, lay hands on it. So the kingdom of God was inaugurated on earth from the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist begins to preach the message of the kingdom, preparing the way for Messiah. And when the, uh, John is arrested, as we shall read, uh, Jesus takes over from there. And continues to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. The sovereignty of God does not come. It is always here. It has been here from the beginning. And it shall continue forever. The rule of God over all created beings and matter does not start, does not end. It is unquestionable. It is irrevocable. The kingdom of God I mean, the, the sovereignty of God is eternal. It is unquestionable. It does not start. It did not start with John the Baptist. But the kingdom of heaven is inaugurated and commissioned by the ministry of John the Baptist leading to the ministry of Messiah who actually establishes this kingdom. Also, we know that the Bible teaches us that the kingdom is coming at the end when Christ comes and establishes his kingdom on earth. That will be the coming. That's what we call the coming uh, sense of the kingdom. So the kingdom has two aspects. It's here, yet it is coming. And I don't want to preempt my points too much. Let me just read the statement as is. The sovereignty of God does not come. It has been here. It will always be here. The kingdom of God was, however, inaugurated by the ministry of John the Baptist and established by Messiah. Yeah? John and Jesus do not announce the sovereignty of God has come because it does not come. But they do announce that the kingdom of God has come. All is at a hand. We shall go into that a little deeper. 
So that is point number one, is a clear distinction. I'm going somewhere with this. Stay with me. Number two, the kingdom of God is actually the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven, not of earth. It's not the kingdom of the universe. Actually, I would say the sovereignty of God is God's rule over the universe, his, his kingdom over the universe, but the kingdom of God is the rule of God over heaven. Now, the, the sovereignty of God, as we've been learning, encompasses the fall. It encompasses imperfection. It encompasses the bad, the good, the ugly. It encompasses your weakest days and your strongest days. But the kingdom of heaven is the rule of God over an environment where everything is aligned to his will and his purpose. But the kingdom of heaven, as you know, heaven is the immediate domain of God, the seat of his throne and his holy angels, where he, from where he governs the, 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 the heavens and the earth, the creation. And we need to understand that that sphere, the dynamics of that is what constitutes the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. So, again, going back to Matthew 3 uh, and verse 1, the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Re believe, repent and believe uh, the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. So although God rules over all creation sovereignly, he rules in heaven in the kingdom of God. And so at the time of John the Baptist and the coming of Messiah, a miracle happens. God takes his rule in heaven and extends it to earth. It was not there before. Now the argument may be that in Genesis there was the, the, the sense of God's full, total, absolute will and rule on earth as it is in heaven. But then we fell, and so the created realm fell from that. So before, it can be argued the sovereignty of God was sufficient as a rule for both heaven and earth, and it was displaying and exhibiting God's will in full. The sovereignty of God initially was all the rule we needed because there was no demarcation between heaven and earth. The, the two were one. They were in agreement. They were in sync. When earth rebels, the sovereignty of God now encompasses the fallen sphere. And now heaven is where there is no fall. Remember that war breaks out in heaven and Satan is cast out of heaven. Because heaven, the very immediate environment of God, cannot be polluted by sin. So Satan is cast out of heaven. And now heaven becomes a sphere where the original perfect will of God is exhibited. No sin, no hunger, no pain, no disease, no trouble. Heaven is a pure, perfect environment where the fullness of God's will is done. Mm. Hallelujah. I deserve an amen right there. <laughs> so let me read this so I make sure I've covered everything. Whereas the sovereignty of God is the rule of God over the whole creation, the kingdom of God is God's rule as it is in heaven. That's why uh, Jesus teaches us to pray. Pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's now a disparity 
And now Jesus is saying, you guys down here on earth need to invoke that the order, the atmosphere, the life of heaven shall come to earth. That is what it means to talk about the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus uh, came to establish. That actually is the good news. By the way, on that we need to really talk. What is the gospel? Some say the gospel is the gospel of God's grace. Others say the gospel is the gospel of the cross. Others say it's the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's all three. I think it's, it's, it's all those three. The gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the good news of the grace of God. The good news of salvation. The good news of forgiveness. The good news of the cross. The good news of um, uh, the kingdom of God coming to earth. But that really is the heart of it. Because salvation is a means to an end. Grace is a means to an end. What's the end? The end is God's will and God's environment, God's order coming to earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. The gospel message is the gospel of the kingdom, mm -hmm. not simply the gospel of the grace of God. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that is just an ingredient. Actually, I would say the final output, as you know, is the kingdom of God comes from heaven. Uh, Revelation 21, and a, and a, a voice declares that the dwelling of God is now amongst men. That is how it all closes. The kingdom of heaven is finally fully established on earth. So I want to throw this right there. It's not in my notes. But the goal of, the goal of God is not salvation. Salvation is not the goal. It's not. It's a means to an end. Man is saved that he may return to the original purpose of God. Yeah. So when you pull somebody out of the water because they were dying and now they're on the beach, I survived that, I've been saved. That's not the objective. They must now get up, dry up, change clothes and get back to the original assignment. And the original assignment is let them have dominion on earth. So the kingdom of God on earth, the, the, the atmosphere, the order, the values of heaven coming to earth is the purpose of our salvation, is the purpose of grace, is the purpose of Jesus, is the purpose of the cross. Yeah, I need to make that point because uh, when I was recently having a debate with one of our pastors, he says salvation is the message of the Bible from the beginning to the end. Oh, I'm thinking, no, 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 no I wouldn't say that. Yes, it is. God is saving man, but not as the objective. The objective is the establishment of the kingdom of God. On earth. I hope you hear me, friends. So, sovereignty of God encompasses the fallen realm of angels, demons, sinful man, death, destruction. It covers all these things. Tragedies, good and evil. In his sovereignty, God oversees and orchestrates his purposes in the midst of the mess of good and evil. That is the sovereignty of God. But in the kingdom of heaven, there is no mess. Please follow me. Let's look at it as it is in heaven. There is no mess, there's no hunger, there's no pain, there is no death. That is the kingdom of God. And that is what has come to earth in the new covenant. That is what has come to earth. That is why angels sing on the day Jesus is born. That is why all these amazing things happen because the unthinkable has happened. God has now began a campaign to bring heaven on earth fully as we see to the in the end but in, initially in part through the church 
the church era, the saved, uh, the bride of Christ, is God's opportunity to bring heaven to earth in the first phase of invasion. Yeah, so that was number, uh, point number one, sovereignty of God does not come. It is here. Number two, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. And when it comes to earth, that is the gospel. That is the exciting news. Mm -hmm. Number three, the sovereignty of God is in full operation in creation. Full. We do not experience the sovereignty of God in part. It's here in full. I even dare say, you, don't, you do not pray the sovereignty of God in place. <laughs> Let's fast and pray that God's sovereignty may happen. The no, sovereignty of God is, is at work regardless. Regardless. And that's why Israel, whether they were sinning or, or walking right, whether they were at war with their enemies or not, the sovereignty of God continues to work in history through divine delays. I tell you, uh, people, people think God, as I've been making the point, uh, we need to embrace the sovereignty of God without thinking that it means he has his way on earth. No, he works out his purpose. That's what it means. His purposes will come to pass. No one will kill them. No one can thwart the purposes of God. They will ultimately come to pass. And uh, Exodus is a good example that God's purpose is to create a nation called Israel, to settle them in a land in the Middle East, to emerge a Messiah out of them, that Messiah may live, minister, and finally die, be buried, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. Is there a clock to this? There should be a clock. But look at the mess that out of the wilderness, out of Egypt, they are stuck in a cycle of 40 years when God wanted them to go in. So though he's sovereign, he cannot override the fact that they will not go into the promised land because of unbelief. God, Bible says, he was vexed with them. He was annoyed with them. The, 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 I think, is it the writer of Hebrews who said they vexed the Holy One of Israel and they hindered him. Uh, so, <laughs> please understand the sovereignty of God does not mean he violates human will. It just means he continues to work his purpose through. So, he made them go around in circles. A generation died. He waited for the next generation and then moved on. And even Moses, who really was meant and the call of God on him was to take Israel into the promised land. He gets overwhelmed. And so God gets him out of the picture and raises Joshua. The purpose of God will continue whether you sign in or not. Ultimately. And we shouldn't be arrogant to think that however we live, God's purpose for my life will come to pass. No, his purpose says his purposes will come to pass. You can sign in and log out but they will continue to march forward and come to fruition. We sign ourselves in or out, but his purposes shall triumph in the end, ultimately. Okay, let me behave. <laughs> I get so excited on this. The purpose sovereignty of God is in full operation in creation and history. Unedited continues to work out his purposes. But the kingdom of God is only in part. Is only manifested in part. Please hear me. Please hear me. The kingdom of God is manifesting in part. And that's not because God is limiting it. Because of things we are going to learn here now. Let me read my bullet points. Though the sovereignty of God is fully at work, 
the kingdom of God manifests in part because the fullness of it shall be manifested in the end times when Christ establishes his throne here. So the kingdom of God is a future reality that God is giving us now as a foretaste. Yes, it's a future reality, but we are receiving it as a foretaste. So, it comes now in part, but will be manifested in full when Christ returns. Now, it's not because God cannot roughshod us and establish it now, but that's not how it's going to work. Because again, he's honoring free will. And I'm going somewhere here. For we know in part, the Bible says, and we prophesy in part. This is 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm sure you recognize uh, the verses there. I, I'm sorry, I didn't write the actual verse. Um, can you check out there, verse, just before verse 10, so verse 7 or something there. I'm asking Marvin to project that. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. Let me tell you, friends, the best prophetic ministry is functioning in part. As long as we are in this fallen realm, the best we can do is try as much as possible to exhibit and manifest heaven on earth as much as possible. We should prophesy in part. We must know we prophesy in part, and we know in part. Even this sermon, which I put three hours into, will not hit the target. <laughs> Because we know in part. Yeah? But when that which is perfect comes, yeah, that which is in part will be done away with. And then verse uh, a little lower, uh, it says, Now we see in a mirror. Now we see in a mirror. Can you find that verse, Marvin? It's just a little lower there. Now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. Yes. Yes. Now this should encourage us. And I'm going somewhere with this. Going somewhere. Now let me read the next bullet point. We need to accept the fact that at best our experience of the kingdom of God, this side of eternity, is going to be in part. Now that does not mean... We will see only partial glory. We may see great glory, the fullness of the glory, but it will happen one day and the following day we need to start again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we may see dramatic healings today and tomorrow someone is not healed. You know, someone may rise from the dead today and tomorrow we will bury someone. There's partial experience, but the glory is real. It is here, my friends. Christ has sent it to us, even during Christ's ministry. And the Bible does point out. He did not heal every sick person. He did not raise every dead. But the kingdom was here. Mm. And we need to understand, even in the early church, not every desire. When uh, James was uh, arrested and killed, that wasn't kingdom. That was sovereignty. <laughs> mm. The kingdom of God. Hmm? Stephen is, 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 is uh, stoned. Remember, Stephen is stoned in the book of Acts and he dies. Mm. But then Paul is stoned and he gets up and walks. Mm -hmm. So in the life of Stephen, we see sovereignty. God uses it to actually invade Saul and reveal himself by the grace that that scenario released. Saul has a chance to meet Christ 
and he hears the gospel and turns to God. But when uh, Stephen is killed, that, that is sovereignty of God. But then when Paul is stoned, and when Jews stone you, they stone you to kill you, not to, not to injure you. They do not live until they've executed their purpose. So when Paul was stoned, he then got up and walked. <laughs> that was kingdom. I want you to see the difference between sovereignty and kingdom. I am making a point. I'm going somewhere with this. I refuse to be ridiculed for pursuing kingdom just because I cannot produce the perfect result. I refuse to be ridiculed because I laid hands on the sick and they did not recover. And then a theology begins to form which says, why are you laying hands on the sick? You see, now you're confusing people. You're raising people's expectations and you're disappointing them. You know, you should not start because you can't deliver the perfect product. No, I must pursue kingdom. I refuse to be ridiculed uh, because of my hunger and my pursuit of the kingdom of God. And I'm coming somewhere. I'm going somewhere with this. Because 100% results may never happen this side of eternity. Now, I'm going somewhere. There. The question that we must face as God's people in this era, before the kingdom of God comes, is are you going to be a kingdom chaser? Or are you going to be ashamed to be associated with partial manifestation? Are you going to be ashamed? Are you going to accept the ridicule of those who say signs and wonders don't happen anymore. The dead are not raised. Recently, in, uh, in, in uh, Bethel Church, somebody died and the church came together and held a huge resurrection campaign. And that child did not rise. That little girl died and was buried. And um, the ridicule <laughs> that fell upon that church. People laughed at them. Stupid, foolish church. Who did they think they are? God is sovereign. Of course he is. But you see, he has also said, raise the dead. That is kingdom. He has given us a kingdom challenge in the midst of sovereignty. And we need to be humble enough to attempt to pursue the kingdom and walk away with sovereignty without becoming begrudged or depressed. We need to believe and pray for our sick. And believe for their healing. And yet submit to his sovereignty when they are not healed. It is a balance because we are in the now and not yet. Now, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the power of God to save. He was not ashamed of the reality that we are in a now and not yet dynamic. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Let me make the final bullet point. It is easy to develop a philosophy of life and a philosophy of ministry which says, unless God guarantees to show up 100%, I will do nothing. It is possible to develop a philosophy of life and ministry which shuns the supernatural, which shuns the amazing as is modeled and demonstrated by Christ. Just because we cannot produce the 100%. Mm. But the Bible says, 
we must minister in part and prophesy in part. I hope you are getting where I'm going. So, we have a challenge, Liberty Christian Fellowship, at this point, mid-corona, post-corona, what are we going to be as a church? What are you going to be as a believer? I'm going somewhere with this. I'm still going somewhere. Now, I want to go to point number four. The question I'm raising, are you going to be sovereign believer or are you going to be sovereign and kingdom? It is a big question. Number four, the sovereignty of God works in terms of orchestration. God orchestrates the events of the earth. Whatever has happened, he works all things together for good. It is called orchestration. The rule of God as a sovereign over life, over history, is that he orchestrates his purposes in the midst of the tragedies of earth and the good things of earth. Satan and man and floods and pestilences. God sovereignly orchestrates. Let me start again that sentence. The sovereignty of God works in terms of orchestration of God's ultimate will and plan through whatever happens. The kingdom of God, however, works through intervention. There's a difference between orchestration and intervention. So in the kingdom, God intervenes and he brings his perfect will and plan into place now. Whereas in sovereignty, he orchestrates, oversees, supervises, and ultimately works out his purpose. In the kingdom, he intervenes, not orchestrates, he intervenes and imposes his will now. That's why... The gospel message was the kingdom of God is here now. And Jesus went around, not saying, oh, well, I don't know about that. Let's see what will happen in the sweet by and by. No, he said, blind eyes open. Deaf ears, be unstopped. Pick up your bed and go home. It was now. The kingdom of God was invasive. It's invasive. It is interventional. It is interrupting of the order that is supervised by sovereignty. Oh, I hope you hear me. Give me an amen right there. Now, I want to talk about orchestration. Let me explain orchestration a little more. Now, under orchestration, I want you to imagine an actual orchestra, a musical orchestra. In an orchestra, there's a multitude of instruments, and they sit in sections. We have the strings section, you have the brass section, you have the percussion section. I don't know what all the other sections are in an orchestra, but I've tried to. <laughs> There's the wind section. I guess the wind one has the brass pe people and whatever. So some, um, each of these sections operates in a completely different way. In the percussion section, they hit with sticks or they smash objects together and create impact sound in some sections they blow and vibrate reeds or or uh, filaments and things and sounds are created in other instruments they pluck violins are plucked and and bowed or rubbed they cause a frictional sort of sound 
Some of these instruments work throughout the song. Others just come in and pull out. They come in and pull out. The most boring role is the, is the symbols guy. Who stands there with these symbols? And waits. Everybody has a great time. And then he goes smash and goes back to his <laughs> frozen state. What a boring role. But you know, you can't just show up and say I'm a symbolist in an orchestra. No, you must study for it. You must know which type of symbols and how to hit them and what's loud and But all these guys come together and each one does their part. Now at the front of the orchestra is the conductor who works all these sounds together to create an amazing sound of music. That orchestration is what I'm talking about when we talk about the sovereignty of God. In the sovereignty of God, God stands over our lives and presides over a multiplicity of events and circumstances. Some of them are bangs. Some of them are <laughs> uh, percussive. Some of them are, are wind instruments. Some of them uh, events, good, bad, evil. And out of it all, God brings music. He creates a music out of the events of our lives because he is an orchestrator. He mm. makes all things work out together for good. Let me read this. Make sure I've covered everything. The task of a master conductor, orchestra, orchestrator, is to combine these sounds that on their own would sound weird. Imagine if you found the symbolist practicing at home <laughs> and is there look, reading the music and going smash and then going quiet and reading and is bobbing his head, counting his beats. It's like, what in the world is that? It makes no sense. And there are events in our lives that you look at and think, this is just stupid madness. What in the world is going on with my life? But God, if you, we hand these issues, these matters to him, he orchestrates and brings music out of them. He makes all things beautiful in his time through our surrender. That is orchestration, my friends. So God takes the fragments of events that we go through and orchestrates them into something beautiful. We can let, if we can let him have them. The sections of our lives, the tragedies, the mistakes, the achievements, the delays, the setbacks can all be orchestrated by God into an amazing masterpiece. Hallelujah. I am Amen. shouting for myself right there. Amen. The beauty of these things are usually seen, the beauty is usually seen retrospectively. Mm -hmm. You look back and it's suddenly, oh my God, it all worked out for good. But while you're going through it, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. So you need panoramic vision. You need retrospective sight. Retrospective sight. So in the midst, it doesn't make sense. That, my friend, is sovereignty. God making music out of random stuff. Let me tell you what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom is intervention. It's not orchestration. So in intervention, God writes the music. He chooses every note. He does not work with fragments of events. It is him organizing everything, everything being done in his way, in his will, on his cue, as he would have wanted it. So 
It's not uh, improvisation music. Have you heard of improvisation music? Improvisation happens a lot in jazz. Somebody shows up with a bass guitar. Somebody comes with a saxophone. Somebody comes with keyboards. And without rehearsal, they can just agree. Key, B flat, off they go. And somebody starts. And the other one finds it. And they are just improvising. No one rehearsed. It is as they go along. And that's how our lives mainly go. But when we are talking about kingdom of God, we're talking about God coming in and invading our life and bringing an order which is according to heaven. There is a music script written and there's an enforcement of that order. So intervention, divine intervention is completely different from divine orchestration. In orchestration, God turns the mess into a message. In intervention, God stops the mess and writes a message. Oh, I wish I could say that again. In orchestration, God turns the mess, turns the mess into a message. In intervention, he stops the mess and writes a message. That is the kingdom of God. Now, in orchestration, it is God's sovereignty that makes a man blind. And that's the language he uses when he's speaking to Moses and says, Isn't it I who makes a man blind or deaf? He's realizing that in the end, when you look back, you think, Oh my God, this whole thing, God has made it so beautiful, he must have planned it all along. That's how uh, retrospective view, uh, view, viewing looks like. You think, Oh my God, it is all so beautiful, God wrote everything. No, he didn't write everything. He makes it look like he did. Which is why he owns it and says, I make the man blind. I make him deaf. It's that sense of making all things beautiful and purposeful. But now, we're talking not about that. We're talking about inter <coughs> intervention. So, in orchestration, um, God is in sovereignty. Who, takes the blind, who makes the blind man and the deaf man and the mute? But in intervention, in kingdom, God steps in and heals the blind man. He steps in and opens the ears of the, of the deaf. And this is why it was such a kafafo in Israel. Because Jesus shows up. And he shows up in the context of sovereignty. In which Israel is clearly taught on, on sovereignty to surrender. And just say, in everything it's God's will. Now here's somebody. Telling the blind man, eyes open, go home. Deaf ears be unstopped. Paralytic, pick up your bed and go home. Whoa, what's going on here? This is kingdom. This is kingdom will. This is kingdom will. It is the perfect, the heaven type will. Do you know that the moment you step through the pearly gates, you are jumping and leaping if you are lame. The blind eyes open at the gate. I am just being dramatic. I'm sure it, they, they open much earlier. But I'm just making a boundary there. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven and remain blind. I'm talking about the heavenly kingdom. The sicknesses are left at the gate. When that kingdom comes here, that order begins to manifest here. That, my friend, is kingdom theology. And as I'm telling you, it began to manifest on earth and be rediscovered from the 30s to the 50s. Through the 50s. And has characterized what has now what I'm now defining 
as the Spirit-filled church, churches that believe in the Holy Spirit and His ministry in these days are churches that contend, and I'm coming to the fifth point, the kingdom of God. The embracing, number five, this is number five now, let me move forward, and I want to bring this to an end, this last point. Embracing sovereignty, in embracing sovereignty, yeah, this is point five, in embracing sovereignty, we prostrate and we surrender. Mm. We trust and we wait. Mm. In embracing kingdom, we stand up and contend. We believe and we fight. There's completely different tones here. In sovereignty, we surrender, we prostrate, we, we trust, we wait. And many times, my friends, we just have to do that because we don't know what to do next. We surrender to his sovereignty. But many times God is saying, where are my kingdom people? Where is your kingdom pursuit? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Will he find any kingdom people? Will he find anyone on earth saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? So friends, you find two schools of thought here. Moving forward, let me bullet point this. The problem with the kingdom of God is that it's not in your lap. That's the problem with it. Sovereignty is in your lap. Whatever you do, you, may, you don't have to fast any time of the, of the year. You can eat as you want. You know, you don't have to exercise faith. <laughs> ah, God's got this. God's got this. We surrender to his will. You know, he's sovereign. He's at work. No, no. A kingdom of God does not fall into your lap. Both John and Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. They didn't say the kingdom of God is in your lap. They said it's at hand. And that word at hand means it's within reach. So God does not deposit it in your lap. He puts it within reach. You've got to go get it. You've got to stretch out for it. You've got to contend for it. You've got to believe for it. The kingdom of God, my friends, is only at hand. And it says, and I quote Matthew 11, verse 12, if you can find that for us, Marvin. Matthew 11 and verse 12. Listen to this verse. It says, from the time of John the Baptist. What is that time? The time that the kingdom began to break in. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So this is the problem with kingdom. Kingdom of God does not fall in your lap. You've got to contend for it. You've got to reach for it. You've got to fight for it. You've got to, to believe for it. You've got to contend for it. And that is problematic because it looks like you're arrogant. It looks like you are spitting in the face of our sovereignty. And sovereignty movements in the earth, movements that missed the emergence of kingdom theology in the 30s and the 50s, or which rejected them, rejected the kingdom pursuit on this ground. You are too arrogant. Who are you to tell God what to do when the Bible says no one tells him what to do? That's sovereignty. Oh, but Jesus said, pray and say your kingdom come, your will be done. Contend with God. Ask him to give you a dose of heaven right here mm -hmm. on earth. And for that, he pours us, he pours out his spirit upon us that we may contend. We breathe in the atmosphere of heaven through the Holy Spirit and he stirs us, he stirs up in us the cry of Abba Father, Abba Father. We cry back to the 
one who orchestrates the atmosphere of heaven and we say, God, can we have more of what it's like up there? Can we enjoy righteousness and peace and joy and power and glory here on earth as it is in heaven? I am making a huge theological point and I want us to debate this as a house. Liberty Christian Fellowship must make a decision. Are we going to be a sovereign con congregation? Or are we going to add sovereignty and kingdom together? Amen. We must make a decision. We cannot be that between the two. Sovereignty is safe Christianity. Safe Christianity, no problems, no scandals. A problem with the, with the so, uh, kingdom theology is, is fa failure because the kingdom has come in part. I hope you're hearing me. From the time of John the Baptist, show that verse again. What has been happening? The kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. These days I'm preaching long messages. And I hope you're hearing me. I want you to, to, to delve into this. Now that's the New King James Version. I don't think we have any other version there, do we? But it says from the time of, the king, of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. What does it mean to suffer violence? And when you go to the different translations, translators really battle with this. Yeah? But some say, there it is. From the time of John the Baptist, from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. So, for the kingdom of God to move in the earth, it is a, it's a forceful matter. It does not just happen. The sense is that it suffers violence. The sense is that it's resisted. There's resistance in this thing. So it can only advance forcefully. How? By violent people. Now here it says violent people attacking it. I love NLT because it brings out another angle. So that the kingdom of God does not just forcefully advance. Violent people attack it. And so you find this as you deal with the, the press and the media, that when you contend uh, with, for kingdom, you, you don't make good reading in the media. Because you, you held a meeting and only 10% of the people were healed. You held a healing meeting. <laughs> Trying to download this thing. And only 10% of the people were healed. Then somebody comes on the stage and says, Pastor, I am healed, I feel better. And you all dance. And then the following day, the pain is back doesn't make good media reading. So you come under attack. The kingdom of God, friend, is a difficult area to contend with because it's, it's one of the reasons Jesus is crucified. Because he brings this very foreign economy and grafts it into this imperfect setting. And now the sick are being healed. And oh, now he's cleansing the temple. And God, oh, the Pharisees are confused. We want a structured religion that fits in our program. And we understand how it starts and how it ends. This guy has come and upset the whole status quo. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. And someone is, uh, is, is, some people are crying because they can't get to him. And now he's disappearing from the city before he has healed everybody. And he's gone to another city. He's causing chaos everywhere. The kingdom of God advances only forcefully. I have had to battle myself looking at the mess that the church can be. When you look at how we try and fail and believe and struggle, and there, we have such bad representations because of how partial the kingdom is. 
and some ministers don't want to deal with partiality, so they fake miracles. <laughs> fake miracles to look good because they have they are, they, are, they are pandering to the media. They want to look good. They want to raise a lot of money. They, they, and they think the kingdom has come in full. So therefore, every Christian must be a millionaire. Every Christian must be, And they preach stupid sermons. Which say every Christian can, must be a millionaire. No. We will all be millionaires in the next two life. Here, it is possible. But it will not happen to every Christian. It's not even necessary. Some will be destroying us and our neighborhoods if they became millionaires. So, in the administration of the sovereignty of God, alongside the kingdom of God, not every Christian will be a multimillionaire. But you cannot use that to say that God wants people to go hungry. Or that God wants people to remain in debt. You cannot argue that, because that's not kingdom. The kingdom of God wants food on every plate. And Jesus demonstrated that clearly by feeding the multitudes. Not once, but twice. Jesus clearly demonstrated the kingdom of God pays off debt when Peter comes and says to him, they want wages, they want, wage, they want a temple tax. And he says, go catch a fish, open his mouth, go pay for both you and me. Jesus never let, left a bill unpaid. But it didn't mean he had a large account. It means he had complete provision. Mm. That, my friend, is heaven on earth. We cannot hide mm. from the reality that the kingdom of God means an atmosphere and environment and order of heaven invading us here on earth and i come to rest in my case jesus is lord do you see my friend the difference between sovereignty and kingdom there is no verse in the bible that says pray your sovereignty come but there is a verse that says your kingdom come why was Jesus getting up early? Now some people say, I don't believe in long prayers. That's fine. Do sovereignty Christianity. I want kingdom Christianity. My master who brings sovereignty on earth, a kingdom on earth gets up early before the breaking of, of day and gets out of the house and goes into the chilly Middle Eastern night to wait on God. Now, I'm not saying every prayer should be the same or people should naturally pray the same way. But Jesus, the Bible says, pray all manner of prayer, all types. Pray long when you need to pray long. Pray short when you need to pray short. But you must make Jesus the model. Jesus is the model because he's the kingdom prototype. He's the one who shows us how kingdom functions. And many times he prayed extended prayer and I made that point here. But you see, people listen. And say, that's what Pastor Lincoln thinks. I think something else. I want us to think the same. I want us to think Jesus. I want us to think him. I want us to model him. Because his kingdom prototype. Jesus, help me to preach and end this message. What's the time? 12.56. <laughs> so, as I close, there are three types of Christianity. And I'm challenging you today to make a decision. Number one. Sovereignty Christianity. Sovereignty Christianity is surrender Christianity. And we need to all be surrendered to God and to understand after you've done your best, you need the sovereignty of God. Because we can never perfect this thing. We struggle, we try. But the Bible says we minister in part, we prophesy in part. I thank God that after I've tried everything, I can fall into His sovereign hands and surrender to His safe 
uh, to his safeguarding arms and just wait for him to orchestrate because what else can I do? I believe in sovereignty Christianity but it's not enough and there are movements, there are churches who have abandoned kingdom Christianity because sovereign Christianity is safer, it's better and it's in the Bible yes it is in the Bible but the Bible says this is the good news and it says repent and believe it repent and believe this heaven has come to earth something higher than sovereignty has invaded this sphere but you must contend for it you must believe for it You've got to push for it because it advances forcefully and only forceful people lay hold of it so I'm one of those forceful believers yeah I pray long I attempt great things I believe for miracles Many times I come back with a bloody nose and a black eye and I nurse myself and I get up again and I go back because his kingdom come is not my, my it wasn't my, my idea, it was his commission. Go to the nations, preach the gospel of the kingdom and then he says heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, impossible stuff. And most churches have deleted these things from their theology because they are not comfortable. Because they are kingdom theology. They are not sovereign theology. But the second type of theology is kingdom theology. And again, as I said, some people dump sovereign theology and run off with kingdom theology. And they think everybody must become a millionaire. Everybody must get healed and will get healed. Everyone must. The whole earth... Some people have even taken it as far as thinking the church must take over government and elect a Christian mayor, a Christian president, a Christian member of parliament. Let the church take over, take over theology. You are joking. You are having a bubble bath, as we say. <laughs> the kingdom is not for now, my friends. It is great when we have Christian influence and witness in the structures of power. But it is not now. It is coming yeah, let's pray that God will give us uh, Christian presidents and, and mayors and all that. Please understand that we cannot over exaggerate the presence of the kingdom of God in this era when there's a revival, and that's why I'm a revivalist. There is such an invasion of kingdom that atmospherically and in government there's such a grace poured out legitimately. It doesn't mean everybody gets saved, but there's much more opportunity. So, I want to rebuke extreme kingdom theology. I want to rebuke extreme sovereign theology. I want to contend for a balance of sovereignty and kingdom. That's the third type of Christianity. In this type of Christianity, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Not second. For most people, the first thing they seek is the sovereignty of God. Kingdom is a patch that they stick in here and there. No, no, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. I want us to prioritize a passion, a desire to see the glory of God break out in our homes, in our communities. But let us be balanced enough that we do not become stupid and do wild, crazy things. The church that is going to manage post-corona has got to be a church that balances sovereignty and kingdom. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray that your people who have heard my thoughts, 
which I believe were inspired by you, will hear the word of the Lord and what you are saying to the church. Glorify your name. Let your kingdom come, we pray. Let your will be done in our homes, in our marriages, in our finances, in our bodies. Make us not ashamed of the gospel. This is the gospel. We are not ashamed to declare that the kingdom of God has come to earth. And men and women need to press in and enter. In Jesus' name. Amen.